Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's just so many things that I just couldn't get out of my head. I wasn't sure how much of this is actually happening and how much mm. of this is like a hallucination. The sound and the score is amazing. You just felt everything as a as a parent there is just literally flooding out through every single pore of her body. I've not felt like so struck by a, a grief scene in many a film. You can see her in the corner. I remember seeing that because I completely fell for it and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Staring intently at him as she's sawing her own head off. I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. that's, that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not nice. You are correct. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Flitzwatch Podcast. I'm Kobe, and I'm joined by Helen. Hello. Dan. Hello. I'm Brian, and we're going to be talking about Hereditary. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast, because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to this episode of FlixWatcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Brian and Dan. If you'd please like to say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, my name is Brian Collins. Uh, I'm a digital marketer and I work f- uh, for a, an NGO uh, in the far north of New Zealand uh, where we're a Maori healthcare provider and so I help them with their uh, social media and internal comms. Now I've, I've been to New Zealand a couple of times, got a few Kiwi friends. You don't sound like you're from there. What, what are you doing there? Are you, are you hiding from COVID? <laughs> Basically, that's, that's where everyone moment, wants yes, to be. <laughs> I am hiding from COVID. Uh, we, m- my family and I have been here since the beginning of the year, uh, but it was uh, it was a get to the chopper sort of moment. <laughs> we sort of squeaked in there towards the end, but we're really glad to be here. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was to sort of get out of the states and to get somewhere where um, <laughs> things like this are sort of taken a little bit more seriously, you know. Uh, but well, you, you think what? So you, your commander in chief doesn't take those things seriously? Is that what you're saying? I don't. <laughs> I mean, we, we can't no, no. talk. No, no, we can't talk. We've got, We're all just very the, envious of you now. Two, two of the biggest liabilities in the world are, are managing our, our nations. Um, 
<laughs> Who's the other voice on the, on the line? <laughs> uh, I'm Dan, and I'm the host of Based on a True Story. It's a podcast about movies and history. So I'm looking forward to it. Always yeah, like I'm, talking about movies. I'm a, I'm a very big fan of your podcast. I think we've um, I've referred to your podcast when we've had um, films based on true stories. Oh, I think thank one you. of them was um, Facebook one. So, uh, social, social network. network. Social network. Yes, there you go. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, so we talked, yeah. uh, I referred to, I think I maybe listened to your, your episode as a bit of a crib cheat before, uh, yeah. before getting into a record. But um, you, you, you spend, it sounds like you spent a lot of time researching this and uh, talking about the films. How long does it take you to put this together? Uh, the average episode, so I do two types of episodes, either it's a solo episode like that one, uh, mm-hmm. The Social Network, or I do an interview. And the average uh, for both of them is probably about 25 to 27 hours. Um and it's funny because I thought when I started doing interviews that I would take less time, but yeah. now it's just all that time in editing. <laughs> Whereas before it's it's in research. So, uh, you know, yeah, because you edit one voice versus two voices, I guess it's a it's a big of a bit of a switch. Yeah, more of a conversation as opposed to the solo episodes are all you know researched heavily ahead of time and mm-hmm. scripted out. So you know, a lot less editing time. Um, so we're talking about hereditary, which is your choice, Brian. Yes. Can you tell us, first of all, why you chose it and then give us a synopsis in a minute or less? Sure. So the reason I chose it is because I hadn't seen it bef- uh, in uh, in a while. And when I first saw it, which was, pro- I guess, probably shortly when it came out in 2018, I was just really blown away by um, how well it was done. Uh, I'm not, I, I love horror movies, but I don't typically see a lot that I like anymore. Uh, and this one really stood out, and so I wanted to watch it again. Uh, and I th- I think that it's a pretty remarkable film, and I like to talk about either films that I really really like or really really hate. And so this is one of those. Um, <laughs> the story is uh, fairly basic. It, it's, it revolves around this suburban family, uh, who the mother who is Annie and her husband Steve. They have two kids: sixteen-year-old Peter, their son and the 13-year-old daughter, Charlie. Um, the story opens up with the death of Annie's mother, Ellen Lee, and it it goes through this process of, of following Annie through her grief of her mother and sort of relief because they, had, they were estranged there towards the end. But in her grief, she finds solace in this woman named Joan who eventually gets her into um, spiritualism and cultism. And there, from that, there's a lot of family drama. Uh, there's the death of Charlie, eventually, in the, in the horrible decapitation uh, accident. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's, let's, I guess let's hold a few of these things back. I'm sure we want to um, talk about some of those, sure. some of these more grim parts of the, of the, of the storyline. But so, do you, do you tend to gravitate towards the supernatural type horror, or is it you just accept them all? Horror, you just don't see good ones that take you at at the moment well i think that something that really makes a horror movie stand out is that and this is one of the points i wanted to make is that it balances sort of the mundane with uh the supernatural and what i mean by mundane is the the reality of life for example if you take the exorcist a lot of the exorcist starts out with um building up to with a mother in a relationship with her daughter. And it's just everyday thing and family drama. Well, this this hereditary, I think, does the same thing. There are a lot of real moments in it and they're strongly balanced with the supernatural and it becomes, um, it heightens both of them. 
Mm-hmm. And for me, a bad horror movie uh, leans too much into uh, jump scares or the supernatural or too much VFX. And it brings you out of the everyday world that you know. And so you sort of lose that grounding of, man, this is this could really happen or this applies to my life. You know, it's it becomes more like a superhero movie to me to where everything is um, not real. What were your thoughts, Dan? I well, unlike Brian, I'm not a fan of horror movies, so <laughs> I should probably get that out there. But um, it's it was kind of one of those movies where at the end of it, I still really wasn't sure what happened. Like to me, it just seemed like there's this demon king who is supposedly really, really powerful, but apparently not powerful enough to really do what he wants. But he can still force people to decapitate themselves. But for some reason, he needs them for something. And none of that was really explained very well to me. So uh, at the end of it, I was still wondering what I just watched. <laughs> but that's that's kind of his trademark. Arius's trademark is a little bit well, when like you that. Said, yeah, when you said trademark, that... this is his debut film, isn't it? So yeah, uh... yeah so he's he's made two. It was the first time I saw it. At the end of it, I was basically was like, "What? What, what, what did I In a positive see?" Or negative way, and though. then, um, I think it wasn't either. I really enjoyed lots of it, and then I thought the ending was a little bit silly compared to the rest of it. And then when I saw Midsummer last yeah. last year, last year, it made me kind of realize a little bit more what his sort of thing is and then made me then want to come back to this. Um so when you when it's it's recently come on Netflix UK. So when you picked it Brian, I was very 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 excited to to rewatch it and I think rewatching it kind of helps f- fill in the kind of like the the what was going on and it it kind of makes a little bit more sense, even though it is pretty bonkers. So was it the first, you know, was it after the first watch, Brian, that you were taken by, or was it after a repeated watch that you, you kind of, it, it filled in for you? Uh, both. I mean, I, like she's saying, um, there. I think it has a high um, watchability, or, uh, you know, repeat watch score. Um, Interesting. I think that scoring already. <laughs> initially, it, um, what struck me the most were the performances. Mm-hmm. Uh Tony Collette's uh, performance of the mother is just outstanding. And, and as far as the casting, it was superb. And all of the uh, performances brought that, what I was talking about, the reality, the dinner scene uh, where they sort of have it out is, is that's a, that's a hell of a scene. Mm. I mean, horror movie or not. Um, and so that struck me initially. And then, you can watch it again and you find out and you can Google, you can go on YouTube and people have picked this apart. Uh, you know, they go through each scene and they find little hidden Easter eggs and things like that. But it is just littered like Midsummer with uh, symbolism. And it is based upon a real demon, like real beliefs that people had a cult, like a real cult. And so I think that part actually makes it scarier. So there's a lot to be filled in as far as the details go. Mm. I think the cult thing is the thing that's scariest for me. Um, we've, we mm. recently reviewed um, The Invitation, which goes along down, down along the kind of cult routes. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of in Dan's camp here. I was kind of like, I mean, again, just to go back to your point, Brian, performance is great. Tony Clare is just, you know, whenever she's going to be, whenever she's in the film, you, you're in fantastic hands there. Uh, no issues at all. And I like the, um, the performances of the rest of the cast as well. But I was just kind of like, 
what what is this sorry <laughs> <laughs> and i was kind of it was going it was going along nicely and then until the seance stuff happened and then the, the kind of possession happens and it just kind of lost me and i was like oh and it, yeah. at no point did it bring me back but there was some up until there's there's the harrings there's the kind of the tight relationship drama with the, with the family you can tell they're all stretched you can tell that you know um Tony Collette's character's uh, Tony Collette's husband is like struggling to try and keep the family together because he senses it kind of ripping apart, and she's there making his miniatures of of crime scenes, which and and, and unsavory scenes of that manifest in their lives before. So he can, he's trying to hold them together. She's going through grief openly. Um, hus- her her son's kind of in his own kind of way and going into I don't know, um, just being a teenager at the time. He's lost his grandmother and their daughters. Uh, we don't really understand what's going on with the daughter. There seems to be some a lot of things going on there, um, and that because she's been possessed by payment. No, but that was that was towards <laughs> the end, right? Well, no, this is the whole thing. the The whole thing is that she is throughout that time possessed by payment, and basically uh, they've been waiting for this okay. moment, which is why she's kind of creepy <laughs> and out there and collecting all the birds' heads and things. So, the, if you kind of like look into it a little bit more. Payman's like been in her forever. So like the whole thing about grandma breastfeeding yeah. the baby is kind of like feeding Payman and getting Payman ready for this, you know, moment what, to come. What moment exactly though? Apparently. When Charlie can possess Peter's body. So they need a male body. So Payman's yeah. in a female body, which isn't apparently demons don't like female bodies. So that this is the, the whole kind of thing. See, that's the part I didn't really get. Like, why, if he's so powerful, why couldn't he just possess the person that he wanted to possess to begin with instead of going through this? Because there was this one little mention in there where it did mention, you know, he's looking for a, a, a male body and yeah. to possess. But I didn't get like, okay, he's supposed to be so powerful. He can make these people kill themselves and do all these different things. But they never really explained why they couldn't, at least I, to my where I understood it to where they, he couldn't just go possess the person he wanted to possess to begin with. <laughs> well, I, think there's... I guess, guess it would have been a shorter film than maybe. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it would have been less than the two hours and seven minutes. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> I, think could, and I think it could have done with being shorter and more to the point and more, more kind of snappy with this. He doesn't do with, short though. I mean, the Midsummer with... Extended Cut is like nearly four mm. hours or something. And uh, this, yeah. this could have been... Wow. A bit longer as well. I think they ended up cutting like a good half an hour from yeah. it that they'd actually filmed. Yeah, because I I didn't get that. Now now you said about the breastfeeding. I was wondering why that was a plot point, uh, apart from it just being a creepy thing. And that's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, now now you say that, you know, after watching the film a couple of weeks ago and thinking why is this this is weird, and that kind of fills in that massive spot there. Um, Obviously, talking about a male host is needed. It just seems it just seemed a little bit like it still it still doesn't sit well with me. I don't think anything kind of sits well in this film. I think no. But I think the he, thing for me was that when I watched this, there was just so many things that I just couldn't get out of my head from it. And I mean, the decapitation scene, which I'm sure we talked loads about, it mm. happens like half an hour in, so it's, it's a pretty mm. quick thing to happen. So that's just like insane. And then. Um, well, if we just stop there with the decapitation, because I think that's one of the things that kind of stuck, stuck with me is that if Paymon was all, as, as Brian was, sorry, as Dan was saying, if Paymon was a strong-willed character, then his weakness is, is peanuts, and that causes Charlie to go, like, <laughs> loopy and stick a head out of a window, and Paymon hasn't got enough control over it to, like... Or was was Paymon driving that through? So I, that's now so that's now open well, that, that kind of thing. The plot is that me. she needs to die. I think is the is the thing. 
I don't, I've got no I've got no idea why everything kind of happens at this particular point and why it didn't happen <laughs> sooner. Maybe it's to do with like Peter's age or something. I don't know. Or maybe it was when basically the grandma died. That when is when everything kind of kicked into things because mm, right. she was kind of like the leader of bringing payment to life. Maybe. What, what were we going to say, Brian? I was going to say um, if if you look into the actual. Um, history of the demon payment uh there this all sort of makes sense because he has uh in order to conjure him you have to have three beheadings three sacrifices and right. those are uh the ones that we have in uh, the movie and that's why does that it, include uh, the bird i think it includes the grandmother ellen mm-hmm. uh charlie, charlie. Charlie and at the Annie. end, because I was going to ask which decapitation you're talking about, because there's actually three. And then there's the one at the end where um, Annie cuts her own head off with the mm. piano wire. That is, that is super gross. And that's the third <laughs> one, right? And you can see this in the, the symbol, you know, the symbol and the necklace that uh, Ellen wears. And the, mm-hmm. it's all over the place. That is a reference to the three heads. But um, so there's like a logic to it. And so. It's, it's reflective of the real belief in, in the Payman eighth king of hell sort of myth. But there's, um, so there's their part. But I think dramatically, as, as she said, it would have been a much shorter film if, if he was able to just go, oh, well, I'll just possess this. Because a huge part of the movie or theme is fate versus free will, right? Mm. And if, and at the end, we realize that the family doesn't have any say in what's going on, just like we get our hereditary traits, just like we get our base personality traits from our family. We can run from them. We can move to another country like in New Zealand, but we can't escape <laughs> those things that make us who we are, that we bring with us. So, I mean, that's a big theme of the movie, and I think that's why Payman can't just do this. He has to string them along and play with them like uh, sh- like uh, Annie plays with the things in the little dollhouse. You know what I mean? And does, do you think there has to be a lineage there? Because if it's the three the three decapitations where the mother, the, the, sorry, the yeah. grandmother, the mother, and the, and the daughter, do you think that's part of the of his raison d'être? Sure. <laughs> yeah, because like Steve's just kind. Of, his death is sort of a bit incidental, isn't it? He's, he's not really part of the the payment plan. So he just kind of. Is a bit unfortunate right. in that. Explain Steve's death. So uh, in trying to destroy Charlie's notebook, Annie accidentally sets her husband on fire, which was one of those incredibly visually stunning and what the fuck moments. And I, I kind of felt a bit sorry for Steve because, you know, he, <laughs> he's really I mean, trying. He's on fire. He's on fire. He's on fire. <laughs> you know, you can kind of feel his pain and... There's also a really he's really he's responsible for the funniest line in the film when he's sent upstairs into the attic to investigate that Annie has found the dead beheaded body of her mother that's been dug up and she sort of says you need to go upstairs and look at this uh, and then she sort of said there's more than that and he says what more than your mother's headless body <laughs> and he just kind of says it in a way that brings like this slightly weird uncomfortable <laughs> horror in it so, burn. yeah well let's and talk there, about it, the, there's the, a the, lot of there's a lot of dark comedy to it is that what you were about to say yeah i mean some people yeah. probably won't find it funny but i i, <laughs> I, I, I did I mean, there's several moments that i found pretty funny 
the one that I laughed out loud is the one where she goes to the grief group mm. for the first time and tells them this sort of laundry list of people who have died in her family and with from mental illness or whatever. And then, and then they edit and cut to the group who's just sort of looking her at all. At all. <laughs> I mean, I laughed out loud at that. But. Well, because preceding that, before that, literally second, she's like, I don't want to say anything. And then yeah. it all came out. <laughs> um, there's some amazing shots in this film. And I think that's what takes, that's what I'll take away from it. Um, do you want to discuss your, your kind of favorite scenes or most striking scenes? I mean, Helen, you talked about the Charlie decapitation. Do you want to lead out with that one? Um, yeah, so I think when I watched this for the first time, I, I saw it at the cinema with my friend and I think we both sort of watched it and the way it happens is like, well, something's happened. I'm not kind of quite sure, like, is she okay? Is she going to mm. be fine? Uh, and, you're, and he kind of drives away and you think, well, what's what's kind of happened? What's, you know, what's gone on? And me and my friend were like, is she okay? Do you think she's okay? And then, you know, he kind of gets out of the car and he goes to bed and you're just thinking, but, it, but what, what, when are you going to find out what happens? And then you, you do find out. And, um, basically it's a cut to Charlie's decapitated head by the road with loads of flies on it. And Annie just screaming and you're like, Oh, that's what I happens. Mean, that Annie, Annie's crying scene there was just like, you know, that's, that's excellence in, that's Tony Collette par excellence, basically that. You just felt everything as a as a parent there is just literally flooding out through every single pore of her body. I've not I've not felt like so struck by a, a grief scene um in many a film. Um but yeah, the Charlie decapitation when I saw it, yeah, I, I was kinda like I did see the head coming off um when it hit the post, but I didn't believe it. I was just like, is that really Can that happen? Is that, is that happen? <laughs> Based on her brother's reaction. Because he just kinda went, Are you okay? And then didn't hear anything. And then, like you say, he just kind of sauntered into bed, obviously like a bit shell-shocked, but he had been smoking marijuana. So it might mm-hmm. just be that kind of... So we didn't know if... It, I didn't know if that was like some kind of dream where he, maybe he'd just been to the party and he hadn't taken his sister and he just got and he just got home. So it was a bit... Things like that um, kind of playing in my mind. But yeah, when you when you see the roadside head with the... I think it was ants, not flies, uh, all over her head. That was... Yeah, that was gross. Um, any other scenes that, that kind of... Brian, Dan, anything you uh, that well, stuck in your mind? You mentioned the, the ants, and I'm, I'm. There's another scene where he's in bed. I think uh, mother comes in to the room, and he's covered in ants, and that's kind of a hallucination type thing. And yeah. so, I was in similar boat with you there, where I wasn't sure how much of this is actually happening, and how much mm. of this is like a hallucination, and. I guess that kind of goes back to a lot of that side of it and what you were talking about earlier, Brian, with the, you know, there has to be three decapitations. I don't remember the movie ever talking about that being part of what was supposed to happen. <laughs> like they, they went into a lot of detail about the family and dealing with grief. And I thought that was, you know, they did an amazing job with, with that, but the, what, what's supposed to be happening with, in order to get this demon out of hell or, you know, to do whatever they're supposed to be doing, I felt was, very very hazy and half of it like I, I thought maybe a lot of it was a, a hallucination because there were some hallucinations in there that you know, yeah and so i wasn't sure what was actually happening and what wasn't maybe it's all inception it's all a dream at the end well apparently he didn't originally write this one as a horror film this was more of a kind of straightforward drama apparently he's written uh-huh. apparently he's written 10 films um we may get to see them all and this one originally wasn't a horror so it was it was basically kind of the drama based on um 
the, the kind of the grief and the journey through that. So at some point it became a horror. So that might mm. be slightly why kind of the, the grief and the family drama is probably its strength, whereas the supernatural mm. element might feel a little bit more rushed. Um, I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Ryan, any, any shots for you that were particularly creepy or, or freaked you out? I think uh, creepy. Well, yeah, I think the creepiest scene was probably uh, when it's towards the end when they do such a great job of Peter getting up out of bed. And this is at the point he's about to get chased by his mother and she's Mm. up on the wall in the corner and they do really, really great stuff with misdirection to get you to not notice that. And then they cut away from him as he sets up in bed and then you see a light come on near the, um, the tree house and then they cut back to him and it's illuminated his room just enough to where you can see in the corner. I remember seeing that because I completely fell for it and it scared the shit out of me because <laughs> there's nothing creepier than realizing or seeing somebody that, you know, has been watching you, yeah. you know, so. I think my 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 and I said it before um, is the is the piano, she she's kind of hanging in the air with a piano wire around her neck and yeah. taking her own head off and that is just like and her, she's her her face at that point as well looking staring intently at him as she's sawing her own head off and the blood's kind of spurting out just enough and mm-hmm. and you never see her drop but then you go outside and hear the kadunk. I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. that's that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not nice. You are correct. <laughs> I mean, one, one thing that adds to all of these amazing moments, which we've not talked about yet, that the, the sound and the score is amazing. And I, th- I think that's one thing that I remembered watching it for the first time that um, I haven't actually written who's responsible for it, but just the sounds are so creepy and that they really kind of get like inside you and, I think that just like really, really heightens the kind of like super creepiness. I would also attribute that to um, the cinematography too, the creepiness involved in the sort of um, um, spiritual floating camera that Mm. is achieved throughout the film. Uh, So I I would say that that serves the same purpose. And she's right about the audio or the music too. Yeah. And also like, this isn't the first time I've seen kind of, creepy miniatures I don't know if you watch csi but there was a big csi episode where someone built miniatures and they built miniatures of the crime scene and left them at the crime scene and they were like exact miniatures so miniatures themselves i find like kind of a little bit creepy I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Okay, well, let's head to the scores, guys. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, Brian, with your recommendability, please. My recommendability was uh, four. And uh, I, I recommend it because I think that it's... Um, it because mainly of the performances, but I also think that the it's a very much a film about of its time uh, about cults, about um, the family and uh, the tensions mm. within that. Done. Uh, well, my recommendability for this would be two. Um, <laughs> two as, my, as my, a. As a man says, you can't you can't have decimal places. You can go two point two one three eight whatever. You want. <laughs> but sprinkle two is fine as well. I go, I, yeah, I'll go too. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a huge fan of horror movies in general. Uh, but then also kind of also something I mentioned earlier too, like at the end, I've learned a lot. I've learned more about the movie from this discussion that we've had than from watching the movie. <laughs> and so I don't know if I just watched the movie and I don't know that I could really recommend it to others when somebody says, hey, what's it about? Be like, I don't know, a demon who lives in a treehouse and cuts people's heads off. <laughs> <laughs> Helen. Um, so I think this this film and also Midsummer as well, they're quite dividing and they're kind of dividing in the sort of horror fans as well. He's doing kind of a very, very sort of different thing with horror and I completely get why you'd give it a two. Um, but I, I'd give it a four. I think there's just something really genuinely creepy about this film and I think second watch if you're at least kind of I kind of enjoyed that but I'm not really sure why and it's left me in a strange place um I kind of want to go back and revisit I think it definitely may shift your feelings a little bit but if you've watched it and gone I've kind of had enough then Mm. then that's fine but I think as also you've already said Tony Collette is amazing in this like everyone is so good it's just a really really creepy genuine scary horror film and yeah i i love it but i can't recommend it to everyone so far yeah i'm gonna go for a 3.8 here um i think if you if you have an interest in film then watch it definitely um but i think i think we'll have a fair few people coming around saying kobe what what was going on there mate can you just explain <laughs> um but i think there are enough there are enough in the performances and enough in some of the some of the freakier scenes that will that will get the horror fans nice and and there aren't any jump scares there really are there just a few, I mean maybe the, the decapitation you don't expect that and things like that so um also when I think he, it does he well as, smashes his head into the desk is pretty kind of like yeah, I didn't yeah, expect true. that and when his mother's chasing him towards the end there <laughs> I think it was kind of more of a jump scare type um so 3.8 uh, repeat viewing score Brian I'll say uh, four point five on that. Okay, okay. How many times have you seen it so far? I think three, two or okay. three. And uh, and that all comes from there's a lot of backstory to it. There's and I completely understand the you know the lack of engagement or misunderstanding about what's going on. But if you look into what's happening uh, with the demon, 
the story becomes really, really engaging. And there is a lot, visually a lot going on that can be overlooked very easily. So right. I think it's, got, it's a really high watch, a repeat viewing score. Done. <laughs> I'm going to bring everybody's <laughs> scores down. I'm going to give this a one. I don't know that I would ever watch it again. Um, now that I kind of know what happens at the end, I like I know what happens. So it, I don't I don't see <laughs> ever watching this again. Is that a one, is it? Yeah. I, uh, Helen. Um, so I'm going to give this four. I think once a year, probably for me, will be quite a nice nice time for me to have holy shit um <laughs> would it be a particular time of the year is it like um and i i genuinely got so much out of it the second time around um mm. and even the the kind of like creepy creepy bits i they still got me um but it, it just made a bit more sense and I could be a bit more like, oh, okay, so I kind of get that a little bit more. But it is it is two hours and seven minutes, so it's not like I'm just going to pop this on, um, you know, for fun because I, you, know, you need to set aside the two hours to, to really get involved in it and kind of get the sound up loud and make it all dark and creepy. And so what was your score? Was it four? Four, yeah. Uh, I'm going to join Dan on the one um, here. I think what I'm going to do, based on Brian's, um, based on Brian telling us earlier on, that I'm, I'm going to go on YouTube and just go through those kind of walkthroughs of like 22, 22 things you missed from watching Hereditary, <laughs> and I think that will be enough for me to kind of go, oh, that's what happened, and then <laughs> then not watch it again. Um, and it's fine. I I think there's just better kind of horrors that um, I will want to rewatch. Like the Babadook for me was a, a lot kind of stronger, tighter film that kind of works in similar lines. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd much rather rewatch that, re- revisit that over over this. I think, um, but I think some of the, some of the, of the most striking shots in this were some of the strongest I've seen in film for a long time. Um, small screen score, Ryan. I I gave it a three. Why did you watch it the first time? Uh, I think I saw it in in the movies in the cinema. Sure. Uh, and then I watched it on television. I think that you either need to go big or go small. I would I would even say maybe even a smartphone over a TV. Whatever you do, you need a, a very, very dark room because there are a lot of subtle things visually that you need to, in order to catch the creepiness and the scariness, you need to be able to see in the background. You need to be able to see in the shadows, mm. I think, uh, to really get it. And there are a lot of audio things. Yeah, like um, things that you need to hear, like the thumps of decapitated heads falling and that kind of thing. Done. <laughs> uh, uh, this actually, I, I give I give it a four because I, not, nothing about this. Of course, this is the first time I saw it, and I, I I saw it on TV. I didn't see it in the cinema, um, but nothing about it really stood out to me as I really would have gotten a much better experience. You know, in cinema with, you know, the sound was great, but, you know, I, I, I heard the thud of the body. So, you know, didn't miss anything there. <laughs> um, but it, it seemed like you know, the, the story, the storyline itself, it was very, you know, focused on the family. And, and in that way, and I, I, I didn't think that it, was, it really needed the cinema in order to get that. Um, I thought sure. they did a good job of delivering that on a small screen as well. Helen. Uh, yes, I think I'm going to go for a four um 
I always think that watching horror in with a shared audience by the cinema is always the, the fun way to do it because you can kind of have that collective shock together and like people screaming. Yeah. Um, I like. Um, also, I think if you watch it on a small screen, just kind of make sure that it's not like a bright summer's day and you've got good sound because I think you can kind of appreciate it on home viewing. And it does, because it's all really kind of only really set in that one sort of house. There's a few exterior bits. You kind of get that claustrophobia of watching a horror at home when it's, it's you know, a lot of the concentrated horror moments are in a house. So I think see it at the cinema if you can, but if not, it's it's fine as long as you've got good sound. So what was that score again? Four, please. Another four. Yeah, I, I agree with them. What you got, what um, Brian and yourself said, Helen. I think it's yeah, it's not it's not lunchtime on a, on a Sunday. Put this on with the with the sun blaring <laughs> through the through the window. Is it? It's if you you know on your iPad under your under your under your duvet cover under your quilt uh, that kind of thing is even I think would be fine. So I don't think it needs a big screen. So I think it, it does <laughs> it does do quite well. Um, I'm going to go four point five, but it would be nice, I guess, to see it in the cinema. Because there are some subtle things, and I did have to. I do remember stopping and just going back like thirty seconds a couple of times. Just say, was that something in the corner? Yes, it was. Okay, there, fine. Um, <laughs> so you know, a good contrast TV, it would be great. Um, so I'm going to what did I say? Four point five. You know, one 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 caveat I would say about that is that I do enjoy uh, watching in a group with a cinema, especially scary movies. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I, I really uh, hate is that when someone gets the scare or sees the sh- the the ghost before I do, and so I end up <laughs> responding to the the audience instead of the. So if if you're slow to get things like me, you may want to sit home by yourself. <laughs> uh, Brian, the engagement score. Uh, engagement score. I gave it a four. Gave it a four. Um. So. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I was pretty much engaged the whole time. I mean, especially with the family drama, but then also visually. I think that the cinematography helps to create an eerie feeling about it mm-hmm. that keeps you guessing what's going to be around the next corner, like literally as they pan around. Um, and then just this sort of what the fuck's going on kind of thing that you have to figure out. And that can become daunting, as is obvious uh, to some people and turn them off, but it can also be kind of engaging so done um i give it a three um the first probably the first 15 20 minutes or so um i was still kind of trying to figure out what direction they were going in i mean it was very heavily focused on on the grief side and and i wasn't quite sure what some of the weird things that were starting to starting to happen but uh towards the end even though i i as i've said earlier i think they could have explained a lot of it better but i do think that it it started to pick up and I started to get a lot more engaged toward the end. So Helen. Um, so I'm going to give it a 4.7. Um, definitely a little bit less engaged the, the second time watching it. But um, yeah, I just, just because it's like what really could happen next, because you've just got kind of, you know, there's no like normal line, literally anything could happen. So I think even, even if you're kind of not entirely sold on it, you're still going to be engaged because you'll be like, come on, throw, throw it at me. What haven't I seen yet? Bring it all on. Bring on the crazy. So 4.7. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, 2.5 right down the middle here. Because I think mm. it was like for, for the first half of the first part of the film, I was like fully in there. Thinking, okay, what is going on? She's Okay, she's walking around with a dead 
bird's head. This is creepy. And then, <laughs> it, and I think it was by the, when she had the seance with the family, that's when it, it started to, you know, started to jump the shark at that point. And then I don't think I really recovered from everything else I saw after that, which just made it more, you know, the, the jump was higher and higher over the shark tank, over Fonzie jumping over the shark um, <laughs> infested waters. So it never recovered from that. Although there were some of the best scenes after that point, but I was still like, oh man, you've, yeah, I've lost it now. So um, <laughs> 2.5 for me. So that gives us an overall score of 3.375. Decent. Um, I thought this was going to be high. I thought I was going to be the only dissenter in this. So I'm glad you joined me on this, Dan. Um, <laughs> Collectively, we brought it down, probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to be quite a high score going in there. But I th- I, you know, 3.375, I think it's decent. Um, it's a divisive horror, horror film, which already <clears throat> splits would split the audience. I, I, I heard nothing but good things about it. So it's uh, you said, Helen, you said that a few people weren't so taken by it. I think it's, it's very divisive, um, which is fine. Oh, yeah, of course it's fine. Absolutely. So we, we head to Twitter um, and do listen to us, do pay attention to our Twitter account. We are at FlixWatcherPod. And before we record any film, um, we do a shout out in this case saying we're reviewing Hereditary with Dan Lefebvre and uh, Brian. <laughs> I didn't know how to revert to you, Brian. Uh, from, Brian from New Zealand. That's what I called you. Um, have you seen it? Give us your thoughts for an on-air shout out. So, Brian, can you t- are you on Twitter at the moment? Can you see the Twitter screen? Sure, this is from the Countdown Pod. An incredible debut from Ari Aster, which unsettles and disturbs in equal measure. And that's before highlighting the stunning performance from Tony Collette. 4.5 stars. Uh, Dan, uh, a short statement the next one. Yeah, from Cult 45, the movie podcast. Simply said, love this movie. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I did ask to try and poke for a bit more insight. How many stars is yeah, love? nothing. nothing <laughs> We'll say we'll say above four, maybe for this for this one. <laughs> well, they did then, say love, not it's liked. Minim, yeah. minim, minimum minimum yeah. minimum four, I think. If someone says yeah. love, if it's a like, it's anywhere between like two point five and two point five, yeah. three, yeah. <laughs> four. Um, guys, can you sign up by telling us where people can find you online and say say bye to the listeners? Oh sure, um, you can. Uh... I'm not online, so I don't know. Uh, you can come to New Zealand and visit me. I'm in Kataya in the far north. So come on, I'll put you up for a couple of days and we'll watch some horror movies. But uh, thanks for inviting me on the, uh, the show. And it's been really fun discussing this. No problems. And done. Uh, you can find my podcast at basedonatruestorypodcast.com and all my contact information on there. Fantastic. Thank you very much. See you later, guys. Thanks for coming on, yeah, guys. Thank you very Bye. much. Thanks. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter, and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks, as always, to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.